Hello and welcome to Pay-Per-View episode 92 in which I review newspaper articles and place them in their true context. Well I've talked before in this podcast about the novels 1984 published in 1948 and Brave New World published in 1932 and how accurate they were in predicting the world we live in today. Not least episodes 4, 23 and 65. And I'm going to continue that theme in this episode. I'm going to start with a subject that brings various elements of Brave New World together. I'll explain what they are after at the end when I give my analysis. This is on the COVID fake vaccine. Fake because it does not stop transmission or infection and even the pharmaceutical companies don't claim that and it does not meet any previous criteria of a vaccine. So this is in the Daily Mirror. Brits are dying in their tens of thousands and we don't really have any idea why. Well I've got an idea and some doctors and medical specialists have spoken out. Not enough clearly but some have because others who have the same idea as what's causing these tens of thousands of deaths, unexpected deaths, know that they'll be out the door if they also speak out. Tens of thousands more Brits were dying than expected and experts are not quite sure why that is, they say. May to December last year, there were 32,441 excess deaths in England and Wales, excluding deaths from COVID. Well, there were no deaths from COVID because it doesn't exist, as I as I show in enormous detail in my new book, Reality Check, including a very detailed chapter on the COVID fake vaccine that runs to 124 pages. The article continues, excess deaths are defined as the number of people who died above the five-year average worked out excluding 2020 due to how COVID spiked death figures that year. Well, COVID didn't spike any death figures. This means the article says that over 32,000 Brits would have been expected to be alive but died according to Office for National Statistics figures across this period. These shocking figures raised a number of important questions about what is happening to the country's populations, how it's changing and why so many people, so many more people are dying. Ever since the COVID pandemic that didn't exist, excess deaths have fluctuated wildly month on month, tumbling well below the five-year average or spiking far above it. The spike in excess deaths can be attributed to a number of causes, but it is not clear what's driving these spikes or causing these drop-offs. Similarly, earlier in 2022, excess deaths dropped well below average levels with one expert group speculating to the mirror that a mortality displacement effect might explain why so many many deaths are bunched up in the space of several months being passed on from the months prior. Professor David Coleman, Emeritus Professor of Demography at Oxford University, told the Mirror that no one knew for certain what had caused so many deaths throughout last year. Well, like I say, I've got an idea. Professor Coleman pointed out that post-COVID, the UK's population had been changed through the deaths of a significant proportion of elderly due to the virus. 
Well, what killed many elderly people was the fact that they were murdered in care homes with a combination of midazolam and morphine, as I talk about in the new book and has, as has been documented elsewhere. This is why they said why elderly people in care homes were said to be at risk, as they were murdered there. He explained, uh, Professor Coleman, that once these poor people have been packed off, the remaining population should be healthier. There should be a period afterwards where deaths are lower than usual, but that has not happened. Professor Coleman highlighted two key reasons that could contribute towards spiking excess deaths. The fact Britain's getting older and gaining a larger average body mass index. The population is getting older and also the population in Britain is the fattest in Europe and rather vulnerable to diseases, notably heart disease and diabetes. Some people have been forecasting separately from COVID that death rates would continue to get worse because the country is so unhealthy, he said. Well, fat people and obese people have been around for a long time. Why don't we see this every year if that's what's causing it? Because that's not what's causing it. But Professor Coleman, like many of these doctors, are terrified to say what is causing it. And so it's left to the independent media and content creators on the internet to say it for them. One of the noted causes behind a number of the excess deaths were ischemic heart diseases which would track with the professor's warnings of a fatter population. Can you think of something else that is, that is acknowledged to cause heart problems since 2021? The article continues. Similarly, when looking at the leading cause of death across much of 2022, it's dementia and Alzheimer's, further supporting theories of an increasingly greying and dying population. You see, what they've done is they've come out with all these ideas that, of what is causing the excess deaths, like everyday activities that people do all the time. And they're saying that's what's causing it, when it didn't before, in these numbers. Dementia and Alzheimer's often are not the leading cause of excess deaths when that data is available, according to, to ONS figures. It's often pneumonia and influenza during the winter or symptom signs and ill-defined conditions in other parts of the year. If you look at the detail and the reasons on death certificates, it's a bit unsatisfactory as symptom signs and ill-defined is one of the biggest components of these excess deaths, and that's some, something associated with old age, really, Professor Coleman told The Mirror. This then brings up another problem, the article says, in that a lot of Brits are dying, but not necessarily of a specific cause. Well, in many cases, it will be a specific cause. So whilst a heavily aging population may be throwing up yet another problem, it does not quite explain why over 30,000 more people than usual died from May to December last year. From March and February of this year, symptom signs and ill-defined is the leading cause of excess deaths. Before that, in January, it was influenza and pneumonia. And throughout the year, other causes emerged dramatically as the leading cause of excess deaths. Heat, in particular, persistently returns during the summer. And given climate change, I was waiting for that to make an appearance as soon as I read the word heat. Only continued to pose such a fatal threat. Okay, so, again... Ask the same question. Climate's been changing forever. And when was the last time we saw this number of excess deaths?
when was the last time we saw sports people collapsing across different sports spontaneously as I detail in the new book in record numbers because of the climate and of course the real question is why is examining a cause of death namely the covid fake vaccine tantamount to career suicide for a doctor or medical professional why why are they not allowed to explore that On the country's hottest days, there is inevitably a spike in excess deaths as thousands succumb to the heat. As previously mentioned, the article says, excess deaths are measured against the five-year average deaths uh, going from 2016 to 19 and 2021. But this has been criticised because it fails to take into account population changes of age, size and more in that time. In short, the population in 2016 is different to that of 2023 and Professor Kevin McConway, Emeritus Professor of Applied Statistics at the Open University, is one of a number who have pointed this out. Using age standardised mortality rates does not or does account even for these changes and when used goes some of the way to perhaps explaining the huge numbers of deaths. It offers the percentage for which a specified time period is above or below the five-year average. For December 2022, the number of excess deaths, 5,900, is 13.5% above the five-year average. But the age standardized mortality rate is only 5.8% above the five-year average. This explains that perhaps some of the tens of thousands of deaths should have been more expected, but still does not quite explain why they happened in the first place. When you look across 2022, the age standardized mortality rate usually gives a lower percentage than the percentage of straight excess deaths, but not far enough to eliminate the deaths or explain them away entirely, unfortunately for the people trying to provide a cover story. However, age standardized mortality rate has its own issues, as Professor McConway pointed out. He said, to calculate the age standardized mortality rate, you need to know the population size in each group. ONS could not yet use estimates based on the 2021 census results because they are not yet available for the relevant dates. And in fact, they used projections based on population estimates from 2018. These do not currently take into account major effects such as the COVID pandemic that never happened that would have affected the population size and pattern of ages. No, it didn't because it doesn't exist. The article continues, which still leaves tens of thousands of dead Brits with no clear explanation as to how they died. And of course we have medical professionals terrified, apart from those who have had the guts to come out bravely through the independent media, alternative media on the internet. terrified to even suggest that the vaccine that the fake vaccine could be responsible for at least some of these excess deaths I'm not saying it's causing all of them but that's as as uh, misguided as saying that none of them are the fake vaccine but some of them will be uh, 
and fortunately the alternative media exists full of content creators, researchers exploring the question of what role, if any, does the fake vaccine play in the excess deaths and the increases in heart problems and all the rest of it that we're seeing since 2021 and uh, doctors who want to speak out the only avenue they have to do that is the alternative media and that's why there's such an effort to censor the alternative media not least through Silicon Valley which the global cult created and control and the next subject in today's episode is the gender agenda and its impositions on children. This is in the Daily Mail. Children as young as 12 can consent to puberty blockers. Scottish watchdog tells childcare workers whistleblower blasts guidance as a significant failure of safeguarding. Scotland's social care watchdog has said children as young as 12 should be allowed to consent to transgender affirming medical care, including puberty blockers. The advice doled out by the care inspector has already raised eyebrows following concerns about the ethics of childhood transition with more detransitioners coming forward. The guidance recommends staff should use children's preferred pronouns and chosen names, as well as refer them to the Sandy Ford Clinic. The Telegraph reports the Sandy Ford based in or Sandyford based in Glasgow operates a gender identity development service for youths in Scotland in much the same way as London's as London's soon to close Tavistock Centre did for England. The advice written for staff working in child services also outlines that sex segregated toilets are merely organised in such a way due to social convention. It states that young people, young transgender people, should share bedrooms with other young with other youngsters who share their gender identity, provided risk assessments are carried out. The document also relates the story of a young person in care who was supported in getting a mastectomy. It adds a young person aged 12 and over is presumed to have sufficient capacity to make decisions about medical treatment although we recognise this may not always be the case. The article continues, The guidance fails to acknowledge the interim cast review of gender services in England, which identified a number of failings in the management of the Tavistock Centre, as well as pointing to a lack of evidence to support the use of puberty blockers. The 22-page report instead leans heavily on material published by the Scottish Government and pro-transgender organisations such as Stonewall and LGBT Youth Scotland, the latter of which helped write the guidance. Consultant David Bell, who was among the whistleblowers at Tavistock, described the advice as a significant failure of safeguarding by the care inspectorate. He said there is considerable evidence that just affirming children is harmful and this guidance seems to ignore all the emerging medical evidence. And there's a great documentary I would recommend on this subject called No Turning Back that you can find on the iconic ICK, ONIC, iconic media platform. On the iconic ICK, ONIC, iconic Twitter page. And I highly recommend watching it. It looks at the impact on children of puberty blockers. Puberty blockers being handed out like confetti to children who don't need it. The next subject today. Space. This is in the Daily Mail. 
NASA's James Webb Space Telescope spots six massive galaxies that are so old they shouldn't exist in discovery that pushes the limits of our understanding of cosmology. NASA's new Super Space Telescope was built to peer back to the dawn of time and give us clues about how the universe burst into existence. In less than a year, James Webb has already dazzled us with incredible images, but now it is challenging our very understanding of the origins of galaxies. That's because the $10 billion, $7.4 billion pound observatory has just spotted six massive galaxies in the early universe that are so old they shouldn't actually exist. That are so old they shouldn't actually exist. These objects are way more massive than anyone expected, said Joel Lager, assistant professor of astronomy and astrophysics at Penn State. We expected only to find tiny, young, baby galaxies at this point in time, but we've discovered galaxies as mature as our own in what was previously understood to be the dawn of the universe. The researchers said their new discovery pushes the limits of our understanding of cosmology and suggests that galaxies grew massive quicker than expected early in the history of the universe. We've been informally calling these objects universe breakers and they have been living up to their name so far, Lager said. He added that the galaxies were so big they came into conflict with 99% of the models for cosmology. To account for the high mass, it means these models would either have to be changed or astronomers would have to alter their fundamental understanding of how galaxies formed in the early universe. Namely, that they started as small clouds of stars and dust that gradually grew larger over time. Whichever way scientists go, Lager said it would require a fundamental rethink about how the universe came to be. The revelation that massive galaxy formation began extremely early in the history of the universe appends what many of us had thought was settled science, said Lager. He said the international team of researchers had no idea what we were going to find when they looked at Webb's first batch of data from the early universe. It turns out we found something so unexpected it actually creates problems for science. It calls the whole picture of early galaxy formation into question, Lager added. The article continues. The new findings show that the six galaxies were as mature as our Milky Way when the universe was just 3% of its current age, about 500 to 700 million years after the Big Bang. Webb is capable of seeing as far back in time as 13.5 billion years, around 2 million years after the universe was formed, because it is because it has infrared sensing instruments that are able to detect light emitted by the most ancient stars and galaxies. This is our first glimpse back this far, so it's important that we keep an open mind about what we're seeing, Lager said. While the data indicates that they are likely galaxies, I think there is a real possibility that a few of these objects turn out to be obscured, supermassive black holes. Regardless, the amount of mass we discovered means that we know means that the known mass in stars at this period of our universe is up to 100 times greater than we had previously thought. Even if we cut the sample in half, this is still an astounding change. The article continues. The research was carried out using the spectroscopic the research was carried out using the spectroscopic data and Webb's first four colour images which were released by NASA in July last year. When we got the data, everyone just started diving in and these massive things popped out really fast, Lager said. We started doing the modelling and tried to figure out what they were because they were so big and bright. 
My first thought was we had made a mistake and we would just find it and move on with our lives, but we have yet to find that mistake, despite a lot of trying. Lager said the way for astronomers to confirm his team's findings would be to take a spectrum image of the massive galaxies. This, he added, would provide data on the true distances of the galaxies and also the gases and other elements they are made of, which in turn would allow experts to create a clearer picture of how massive they truly were. A spectrum would immediately tell us whether or not these things are real, Lager said. It will show us how big they are, how far away they are. What's funny is we have all these things we hope to learn from James Webb, and this was nowhere near the top of the list. We found something we never thought to ask the universe, and it happened way faster than I thought. But here we are. The discovery has been published in the journal Nature. The James Webb telescope has been described as a time machine that could help unravel the secrets of our universe. The telescope will be used to look back to the first galaxies born in the early universe more than 13.5 billion years ago and observe the sources of stars, exoplanets and even the moons and planets of our solar system. The James Webb Telescope and most of its instruments have an operating temperature of roughly 40 Kelvin, about minus 387 Fahrenheit, minus 233 Celsius. It is the world's biggest and most powerful orbital space telescope capable of peering back 100 to 200 million years after the Big Bang. You are orbiting infrared observatory is designed to be about 100 times more powerful than its predecessor the Hubble Space Telescope. NASA likes to think of James Webb as a successor to Hubble rather than a replacement as the two will work in tandem for a while. The Hubble Telescope was launched on April 24, 1990 via the Space Shuttle Discovery from Kennedy Space Center in Florida. It circles the Earth at a speed of about 17,000 miles an hour, 27,300 kilometers an hour, in low Earth orbit at about 314 miles in altitude. And there's another article here on the same subject. This is also in the Daily Mail. James Webb Space Telescope image showing mysterious, oddly shaped rings around a distant star called WR140 leaves astronomers a bit puzzled with one calling it bonkers. NASA's James Webb Space Telescope observed strangely shaped concentric rings around a distant star that they cannot fully explain, with one scientist calling the image bonkers. WR140, a star that's in the constellation Cygnus and resides around 5,600 light years from Earth, is surrounded by curved yet oddly boxy rings that are red coloured in the image that was shared on Twitter by citizen scientist Judy Schmidt. Nope, I don't know what this is, some kind of spiral nebula around WR140L. I'm sure we'll find out later, Schmidt wrote. Mark McCory, a senior advisor for science and exploration at the European Space Agency and a member of the James Webb Space Telescope Science Working Group, said, well, that's bonkers. The six-pointed blue structure is an artefact due to optical diffraction from the bright star WR140 in this JWST, James Webb Space Telescope, uh, MIRI image, he said, in reference to the way the webs and mirrors bend light to create the spikes. But red, curvy, yet boxy stuff is, a, is real. Uh, a series of shells around WR140 actually in space around a star. Bakorian noted that WR140 is what's called a Wolf-Rayet star, which eject much of their hydrogen into space and tend to be surrounded by dust that can be shaped into strange shells by a companion star. These types of stars are known to be extremely massive, often 15 times the mass of the sun, and will burn through their core fuel quickly. They exhibit very fast winds, can become extremely bright, and will often create a stunning nebula around them made of blown-off gas. 
Yes, those nested square killer rings are real. Ryan Lau, an astronomer and Noir Lab and principal investigator at the project that acquired the observations, said on Twitter, Our paper on this has been submitted, so please stay tuned for the full story. Schmidt later replied to her own threat. They do look like airy rings, but they aren't. They're shells of gas and dust. The red shells are real physical structures around the wolf red star. They're famous for su- they're famous for such things, carved out of their dust and jets by the orbits of binary companions, but this is an especially spectacular example from James Webb Space Telescope, Macquarie and said. Lau and his colleagues published a paper in the Astrophysical Journal on another wolf rayette star called WR112. Exactly what the geometry is in WR140 with the curved and yet boxy shells is not immediately obvious to me, and why there are discrete separated shells rather than a spiral structure, well I'm sure Ryan and his colleagues are working on that right now, Macquarie added later. This promises to be another area revolutionised by James Webb Space Telescope, though putting its diffraction-limited resolution extreme thermal and extreme thermal infrared sensitivity to very good use, helping us to understand the final evolutionary stages of live fast, die young, massive stars, he said, including a picture of Elvis Presley with his tweet. This latest image comes shortly after the first picture of an exoplanet located 385 light-years from Earth. The telescope used its near-infrared camera and mid-infrared instrument that could block out surrounding starlight to snap epic images of the exoplanet HIP 65426. The alien world was first discovered in 2017 by the European Southern Observatory's Very Large Telescope in Chile, but the long wavelengths were blocked by Earth's atmosphere. The exoplanet is just 15 to 20 million years old, which is much younger to our four which is much younger to our 4.5 billion year old Earth. But Webb's first capture of an exoplanet already hints at future possibilities for studying distant worlds, NASA shared in a statement. Now, these two stories may not seem to be related to Aldous Huxley's Brave New World or to George Orwell's 1984, but they are because any tyranny must control perception. And part of that is limiting the sense of possibility of the population. So the tyranny can operate outside that limited perception and do things that people would not even entertain that they could be doing. In order to achieve this limited perception, a tyranny must control information received from which the population form their perceptions. And in George Orwell's 1984, Big Brother did exactly that. And talking of controlling information, that brings us very nicely on to the next subject today, which is, and the final subject of this episode is COVID disinformation. This is in the Telegraph. COVID disinformation unit made hourly contact with tech firms, its leader reveals. Sarah Connolly can today, this is 9th of June, this was published. Uh, can today be revealed as head of the secretive government unit that flagged critics of lockdown pandemic policy. A secretive government COVID unit accused of seeking to suppress free speech during the pandemic was in hourly contact with social media firms, the official in charge of the operation has disclosed. The civil servant, who today can be named as Sarah Connolly, said that one of the counter-disinformation unit's main functions was passing information over to companies such as Facebook and Twitter to encourage the swift takedown posts. The Telegraph revealed earlier this month that the CDU worked with social media companies in an attempt to curtail discussion of controversial lockdown policies during the pandemic. Last night, David Davis, the former Conservative cabinet minister whose comments were logged by the unit, called for the CDU to be shut down and for a parliamentary committee to investigate it. 
He said the most paranoid wing of government is interfering in the democratic process and a parliamentary inquiry with the biggest combination of power, access and speed was required. Separately, the BBC, who attended government meetings at which so-called misinformation was discussed, was accused of acting as the broadcast arm of the government during the pandemic as journalists described being mocked if they tried to give a voice to lockdown sceptics. The identity of the head of the CDU was a mystery, but it can now be disclosed that Miss Connolly, a career civil servant, led it throughout the pandemic and remains in charge. She previously worked on anti-terror policies for the Home Office, but had already joined the Department for Culture, Media and Sport when it started monitoring COVID disinformation under Oliver Dowden's leadership. It is unclear if other more senior ministers were involved in the CDU. There is growing speculation that the unit may have links to the intelligence services, but the government has repeatedly refused to give certain details about it for national security reasons. Security of the cult's agenda, in other words. In remarks to MPs unearthed by the Telegraph, Miss Connolly laid bare the extent of the government's influence over social media. Miss Connolly told MPs that the CDU was in contact with almost all social media platforms and that discussions were daily, sometimes hourly. When asked about the CDU's process for having posts removed, Miss Connolly said, If somebody from the cell says we are worried about this, that goes immediately to the top of the pile, whoever it it is in whatever company. The government confirmed last night that social media firms had taken action on more than 90% of the posts referred to them by the CDU during the pandemic, often by deleting them or using algorithms to ensure they were not seen as widely. This is the technique that social media companies use. Ms Connolly described the CDU as a cell within government using the same systems as those in place to stop terrorist content spreading online. She said one of its big functions was talking to social media platforms and passing information over. It gets information back from them and encourages that swift takedown, the swift dealing with the platforms. The cell has daily interactions with almost all the platforms. She is also named on documents obtained by this newspaper the Telegraph, uh, as the chair of the Counter Disinformation Policy Forum, a group that operated for six months during the pandemic, which included an, a member of BBC staff alongside tech companies, academics and lobby groups. Miss Connolly told MPs that the forum was designed to take the sometimes hourly contact with the CDU with tech companies and raise it to the next level. Current and former BBC staff have told The Telegraph that during the pandemic a climate of fear existed within the corporation among those who argued that its reporting lacked balance, saying they were branded dissenters. Three journalists who gave evidence to a parliamentary group in private last year told The Telegraph they were ignored when they raised their concerns about impartiality with senior managers. One senior BBC editor tried to organise via a secret WhatsApp group a pushback to stop its journalists back in government policy, but they were too fearful of losing their but they were too fearful of losing their jobs to join the proposed rebellion. Today's revelations raise questions about Miss Connolly's influence as both chair of the policy forum and leader of the CDU inside government. Her comments made just as the vaccine, fake vaccine, rollout was beginning also call into question what criteria the CDU used to make its judgments. Her testimony suggests that the CDU takes a broad view of what qualifies as disinformation. Addressing MPs, she said that the most concerning types of anti-vaccine material included discussions about side effects and the speed with which it was produced. The vaccine was done too quickly, it is not safe, those kind of narratives, she said. While the vaccines were safe for most people, the article says, coroners have ruled that a small number of people died from rare reactions to the AstraZeneca jab. Academics have also expressed concerns about the speed of some vaccine trials. Well, a couple of points there. First of all, a small number have been recorded as dying from so-called rare reactions. 
it's not the full number because only a tiny percentage of reactions have ever actually reported and it's amazing how something so rare happens so often. The article continues. Last night, sources said the CDU had been allowed to expand its reach under Ms Connolly, who took on the role of Director of Security and Online Harms in 2017. One blamed a revolving door of culture secretaries and, such, and said a rapid succession of ministers with little experience of the sector or ambition to stay in the DCMS had allowed Ms Connolly to take control like a puppeteer. Well, that's what happens in government. You're in, you're in one department, then they have a government reshuffle, and then you're in another department, and then another one. And you know nothing about the subject matter of any of them. It's just decided that you're in that department. So, in essence, anyone could do that job, because you don't need to know anything about the subject matter. Anyway, the article continues. The CDU moved from the DCMS to become the responsibility of the Department for Science, Innovation and Technology earlier this year, but the source said her control of the unit appeared unlikely to change because there was a lack of oversight from number 10. This is an abject failure of the centre of government, they said. Last night, government sources praised Miss Connolly's work ethic and professionalism. As a hard-working civil servant, she's an impartial advisor, not a puppeteer, one said. Social media posts monitored by the CDU and the Cabinet Office is now defunct. Rapid response unit include comments by respected scientists, such as Dr. Alexandre de Figueredo from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, who argued against the mass vaccination of children. Uh, the units also flagged discussions questioning lockdown and vaccine passports. The government has repeatedly refused to give details about the CDU's budget or the number of staff it employs, but it is known that during the pandemic it used an external AI firm to trawl through posts. A government spokesman said... As we have repeatedly made clear, the primary purpose of the unit was to track narratives, not individuals. It does not have and has never had the power to remove online content. No, they just leave that to, to the social media companies. The quote continues, uh, On occasions where it encountered content considered to be in breach of social media platforms, terms of service, it was referred to them for consideration. Consideration. Censor it if it challenges the narrative, in other words. The quote continues, when referrals were made during COVID, over 90% of them were ultimately found to be in breach of terms of service, which are deliberately, vaguely worded so that they can be applied to as wide a uh, range of comment as possible. The quote continues, it is important to remember that this engagement with social media platforms was undertaken at the height of an unprecedented pandemic when the government's overriding concern was to protect public health. Twitter cannot be reached for comment, although it is understood that it did not act on CDU referrals at the same rate as other social media firms. Facebook owner Meta has previously said it does not allow false claims about the vaccines or vaccination programs which public health experts have advised us could lead to COVID-19 vaccine rejection. This includes false claims about the safety, efficacy, ingredients, development, existence or conspiracies related to the vaccine or vaccination program. So why didn't they censor the pharmaceutical companies then? And by that criteria, the pharmaceutical companies should have been censored. And the government regulator, the MHRA, they weren't censored. 
they were communicating misinformation, false claims about the safety, efficacy, ingredients development related to the vaccine or vaccination programme. So why weren't they censored? And the answer to that reveals the true story of the COVID hoax. The article continues, the BBC said that it rejected the characterisation of its COVID coverage and said it featured a range of voices, a range of voices commenting within the bounds of what is considered acceptable comment. The broadcaster said it attended the counter-disinformation policy forum in an observer-only capacity. A spokesman for the broadcaster said, We totally reject this characterisation of our COVID coverage. We featured a range of voices during the pandemic, including those sceptical of lockdowns in line with our duty of due impartiality. We do not recognise this description of our working environment. Like other news organisations, the stories we cover are the subject of robust editorial discussion and debate. As we've already made clear, the BBC attended the Counter-Disinformation Policy Forum in an an observer-only capacity. The person who attended was not a BBC News executive and played absolutely no role in in editorial decision-making. A range of voices, but within a very narrow confine. That's the point. Anything outside of that, they don't have those people on. So there may appear to be a debate, but it's a debate within very narrow parameters. Anything that would blow the hoax apart, they're not interested in. Not least because they were funded by the guy who was central to the COVID hoax, Bill Gates, through BBC Media Action. I'm going to start this analysis with a quote, Orwell's 1984. Already we are breaking down the habits of thought. We have cut the links between child and parent, and between man and man, and between man and woman. No one dares trust a wife or a child or a friend any longer, but in the future there will be no wives and no friends. Children will be taken from their mothers at birth as one takes eggs from a hen. The sex instinct will be eradicated. Procreation will be an annual formality like the renewal of a ration card. We shall abolish the orgasm. Our neurologists are at work upon it now. There will be no loyalty except loyalty towards the party. There will be no love except the love of Big Brother. And we are seeing that agenda playing out today. Transgender is a transition to no gender. The transformation is so big that merely to bridge the gap, transgender was introduced to confuse gender en route to fusing gender into no gender. Transgender activists need to realise this fast. Huxley talked in Brave New World about the end of family and parenting in favour of a synthetic human created in a laboratory. And there's an article here on futurism.com entitled Synthetic Biology. It's alive, but is it life? What is life? Perhaps this is one of the most perennial questions of, well, life. It's a question further compounded by discoveries that have allowed us to understand what living things are made of and that it's the exact same material non-living things are made of. Molecules. Then we discovered that what makes living things different from other matter is a special combination of proteins called DNA. This contained everything there was and is, and to a certain extent will be, to know about a particular organism. Then scientists learned how to read the entire DNA sequence or genome of organisms 20 years ago and the possibilities for life took a step forward with the advent of synthetic biology. 
Synthetic biology has become the backbone of biotechnology. With advances in the field moving rapidly, we have become capable of more than just reading and editing life. Now we can, in a manner of speaking, modify or make life into something new. We can build organs that could save the lives of thousands of people in need of organ transplants. And in the future, we could even potentially create cyborgs using the tech. Now, I would say that that is the whole point of synthetic biology. And with this ability comes so many questions. How far can we go? How far should we go? Until people understand that there is an agenda driving the direction of human society, they will never understand the true context of current events at any point in time. When you examine the COVID policies, they were all aimed at separating people from each other. Lockdown, masks, social distancing and the demonization and abuse of anyone challenging the covid narrative and refusing to follow the policies themselves we haven't seen the end of lockdowns either by the way climate lockdowns are planned to stop carbon and fossil fuel emissions to protect the world from something humans are not causing something that nothing on earth is causing climate change is driven by the sun and sunspot activity and cosmic rays from the sun this will once again justify climate lockdowns Closing businesses and industry, which means more unemployment and damage to the economy, exactly as planned, so authority can come forward eventually when the global population are in complete desperation and destitution with no means of income, with a cashless guaranteed income which you will only get if you do what authority says. The COVID fake vaccine, as I explain in my new book, Reality Check, is inserting synthetic genetic material into the body. The plan is to make current humans as synthetic as possible and future humans to be entirely synthetic and created in a laboratory along the lines of Huxley's Brave New World state hatcheries. The technology Huxley described is now being developed in the form of baby pods. And in the new book, I've got two illustrations. One is an illustration of what Huxley was talking about. And another is one of these baby pods that, are, that exist today. And the baby pods that you can see today are effectively a prototype of the technology which is planned to be used to create humans from scratch. I remember seeing a video on the Business Insider website from 2017. The video was called, This Concept Incubator Would Grow Babies at Your Home in a See-Through Pod, which is the, the pods I mentioned. To keep this from the population until it happens, we have the cult created and owned social media giants which were created for various reasons, one of which was censorship of alternative information and opinion exposing the cult and their agenda for the world. These are the real-life memory hole of Orwell's 1984, the real-life Ministry of Truth. And that's why it's more important than ever to communicate this information as censorship increases pace and that's what this podcast is all about so that's it for this week that's the news that's the context and connections that's pay-per-view more to come next week until then goodbye